My name is Andrew Fitzgerald. I'm a layperson here. Um, we're going to speak, we're going to continue the series of You Make Me Brave. Um, and this morning we're going to be talking about You Make Me Brave to Be Generous. And um, I'm not checking soccer scores. Um, I'm actually, I just got some of the presentation on here so I can see it. Um, and I'm not, really not going to be talking so much about money this morning. Um, obviously, money is part of being generous. Um, and it's a very fundamental part because it's a currency that we use. I mean, that's, that's the brokering currency for anything we do um, in our society. But I'm really going to be talking about something that's way more valuable than money. And that is your time, your talents, and where your passion is. So today I'm going to be talking about how we can be brave with our generosity. And, and I, I read this quote, um, often we think that being generous is about when we give money. I read this quote that said, you can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. So I think that a truly generous heart and mind is more important than understanding generosity as in financially. A generous heart and mind, if you, do, if you don't have a generous heart and mind when you give money, there's usually strings attached. Or there's a reason you give it, you want to be perceived as generous, because that's what you want. So understanding that a generous heart and mind is the most important thing. So this talk isn't about money. It's, as such, it's about learning how to be courageously generous. And so, like a good uh, British person, I'm going to get straight to the point. The secret to being generous is being content. The secret to being generous is to be content. Philippians uh, 4, uh, verses 10 to 14 says, I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess, Happy that you're again showing, this is from the message version, so if you're reading your Bible in the pew, um, this is a slightly different translation, it's more of a paraphrase um, of the Bible, a more modern language, so I'm using the message version, but it's Philippians 4, 4, 10 to 14. I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess, happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me, you have just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I've found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or empty. Wherever, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. So how does being content lead to generosity? And um, I, I, I grew up in the PowerPoint era. Well, actually, I, I remember the, the clear slides they used to put over a projector. But um, I learned in the PowerPoint era. So I put together a little PowerPoint to just summarize what I see uh, as the secret to being generous, to courageously generous, and learning how to be content with what you have. So if you look at, if you look at the... Um, the slide. Do I need to do my? Oh, yeah. Okay. If you look at the slide, can, can you see that? I know it's really small. Do I need to explain? Can you see it at the back? Okay, good. If you look at the bottom there, I've got some things that represent what we have, what we normally consume as human beings. Um, so whether that's cars, houses, right in the middle there, time, money, um, vacations. I know that's very, very important to us, but your leisure time, the things that you have, those are all things that we, we build our life around, all right? So we know that we, we all have houses for the most part that are in here. 
um, cars and things like that. But what happens is, is that if we realize that those things are enough for us, then whatever else is above that becomes an overflow. So if you understand that your, your car is enough, your house is enough, your time is enough. I mean, time, I'm very selfish with my time. I mean, I didn't choose this topic. <laughs> Kyle asked me to speak on it. <laughs> so it was pretty, pretty challenging for me to think about this because I think about all the things I need to get done. My, my thing is always about my time. I really struggle with fitting everything that I want to do into my time. I never have enough time. Anybody with me on that? Never have enough time. And then money. We always, uh, uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit, little bit later. We always want more, right? There's nobody here that is sitting there saying, I've got enough, okay? Everybody wants more in one way or another. And we want more, more fun. We want to be able to do more soccer, more, um, see, this came straight out the top of my head, more soccer. You want, to, you want to do the things that you're passionate about. You need more time, right? And you need more, more um, availability for that leisure time. And what happens is, if you think that you don't have enough of those things, you start pushing that enough layer further and further up. And so if you're, you can't be content with your house, your car, your money, your time for yourself, what happens is that pushes out generosity. So if you look at the next slide, if you don't have enough, generosity gets squeezed out. Because what happens is generosity comes from the overflow of what's in your life. And if you've never got enough in your life, generosity, you're filling those things. You spend all your time on trying to get enough. And generosity, the overflow of who you are, gets squeezed out. So generosity gets pushed out of the picture. And I'm not saying that you can't have great things in life, okay? I mean, this is not what it's about. If you get a nicer car, that's great. And there's nothing, really, nothing wrong with that. If you get a nicer house, there is really nothing wrong with that. If you get, have, um, if you spend all your time the way you want it, and you're like, okay, I'm really bored. I have so much extra time. Because it's great. I'm not suggesting that it's about things. I'm su suggesting it's how you look at those things. You see, that's why you can go to another country. I remember when I, um, one of the first things I did at the organization I worked for um, was set up after the tsunami in Thailand. We set up several teams that went out to Thailand and they built boats along with local fishermen for the people that had lost their boats because that was their livelihood. And I remember going there a couple of years later, meeting with some of the families. Um, and I remember distinctly going into one house um, where there was three ladies. There was no men in the house. Their husbands had died in the tsunami. And we had built two boats for that family. And they were so thankful. I was just blown away. It wasn't a, you made a boat for us, and I'm so, you know, thanks. It, it was the least you could do. They were so grateful, yet they had lost their husbands, and they had moved into the same house together. One looked after the kids. One went out and did the fishing. And the other one, um, I think, was uh, the grandmother and just kind of did things around the house. And so these three people were overflowing with gratitude, for what I had done. And here's me just thinking, what is this about? How can you be thankful um, with that, just the, those little things? It's not the thing itself. It's how you view the thing. You're grateful for what you have. You're grateful for the car that you have. I remember, I'm a director at my, my work, and I remember 
someone from my finance department, we were going to the parking lot um, after, after work, um, and I got into my, I've been driving a Versa for about eight or nine years, my little Versa. Um, I can beat anybody on the road in my Versa because it's a stick shift. So, you, you know, I, I really go in there sly and then just whip out of, in front of people. But he looked at me and he got, I was getting in my car and he's like, I thought you would have had a bigger car than that. And that stuck with me. I mean, just our societal perception of what is enough. Okay, you're, you're, you're a director, therefore you must have a bigger car. That's not how it works. I'm thankful for the car that I have. I would love to have a Jag. <laughs> right now, a Nissan Versa is enough. But what happens when you get the Jag? What, it's what you think about it. See, because, you know, when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and he said, go sell what you have and give to the poor, this was nothing to do with selling everything that he had and giving to the poor. What Jesus was pointing out was, you, you have placed your trust and your faith and your identity in possessions. So go sell it all. If you place in your, your identity in your, your job, your money, your house, your car, whatever it might be, your status, whatever that might be, and it's more than those things that for many of us, if you place your trust in that, you'll never have enough and there will never be generosity in your life to the extent that God wants us to have. So, knowing that what you have is enough in the context always allows room for generosity to overflow. So it doesn't matter how big that car is, how the house is, how, how much money it is. If you're content with what you have, there'll always be room for generosity. So, how do we get to be content? Let's, let's go back earlier in the Philippians 4. We were reading 10 to 14 earlier, and I'm going to go back earlier and read Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. And this is from the ESV version. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God be with you. See, the foundation for being content comes from knowing who we are, our identity, and being thankful for what God has done for us. There's a foundation in terms of it. You can go to the next slide. Um, okay. Okay. Oh, they can't see my red? Okay, I'll explain it. Okay, so, you know, basically, you cannot learn to be content unless your, your base identity, who you are, is secure. This is a very key thing for me, really understanding this, because we did um, recently, just uh, in December, we did some focus groups. I work for an organization that um, shares the gospel around the world, and one of the audiences that we're trying to learn to share the gospel with online um, is the, the kind of the uh, older millennials and young Gen Xs. And so I got a bunch of independent focus groups together of these people in three different cities in the country. 
and we, they come in, they, know, they don't really know, they're recruited by marketing um, folks, and they think they're coming in to kind of look at, you know, laundry detergent or something like that. And then we start asking them questions. Well, what do you struggle with? What are, you, what are the things that are really difficult in your life? And these are all middle-income people. These are not, this is a very specific target segment of, of the, um, this country. And um, one of the first things that came out of everybody's mouth was finances. Now, they're sitting there nicely dressed. They've got houses. They've got cars. They've got jobs because we know their income level based on the research. And they're sitting there saying, finances. They're just struggling with their finances. Okay, so then the next thing was kids, and I said amen to that one. What do you struggle with, kids? And there were a couple of other issues, but one of the overwhelming things was the idea of finances. And what's funny is last week I was on a conference call, a Skype call with a bunch of guys in, in uh, Nicaragua, um, a bunch of our directors in that Latin America area. And they echoed, I showed them some of the clips from this focus group, and they echoed the same sentiments. Finances. And this has been something I've been thinking about for quite a while now. And the, the, the problem is, it's not the money, it's that what you have is not enough. It's not the money itself, because you all have different levels of income. You all have different level, levels of money. So whether they, they're in um, Latin America and have much less money than what we have, it's still not enough. So the struggle is, is not so much that um, the amount that we have, it's that we never understand that enough money is ever going to be enough because we're always trying to place that in, in, in saying, okay, let's use our money to say this is who we are, our identity. So I really think that the idea of our struggle with finances and never having enough, the root of it comes from who we are. Do we know who we are? Do we know that we're sons and daughters of God? Because if you lose sight of that, if you don't understand that and you don't get that concept, you will never have enough because you're always trying to fill it in some other way. If you don't know who you are, your identity, you will never have a good foundation for being content. The second thing is if you know who you are, then you know what God has done for you, God's tremendous grace, then you're thankful and you live a life that is full of gratitude. I don't use that word very much. Gratitude. Are you thankful for what you have? Are you thankful for what God has done for you? Are you grateful for where you're at? And I think that what happens is, and the thing in red is, I, I really honestly believe those are the two areas that the devil wants to get us with. Who are you? You need to be better. You're never going to be great until you get this position. If you're a director at work, why can't you be the boss? Who are you? You see, if you're secure about who you are in Jesus, and that Jesus is your father, God is your father, and you are the sons and daughters of God, you don't have to worry about what other people think about you. You don't have to worry about whether you've got this job or that job and that status or this status. Generally, you want a bigger car because you want people the way people perceive you. Now, I really don't want you to come and ask me to swap your minivan with mine because it's a really nice one, okay? So, you know, don't get any ideas here, right? Um, but the idea is that if I'm driving my minivan, which, believe me, I'm not driving my minivan for status, but if I'm driving my minivan for status, then there's something wrong with my thinking. I've lost a sense of who I am and my identity. It's a foundation for so many things. We've, we've talked about identity so much um, in this church. It's so important to understand who we are because 
if you know who you are, you learn to be thankful for what you have and where you're at. Whatever that circumstance is, as Paul said, whether I have little, whether I have much, you're thankful. And gratitude, and I'm going to, I mean, towards I'm giving the, the worship team a heads up. They hadn't planned to do this, but I really would like to do um, I Breathe You In at the end of the service again. I really think that sometimes we need to step back and breathe in what God has done for us. Because in that, you start to, all the other things that you stressed about today, and there isn't a Cardinals game today, so we don't need to stress about that one. All the things you stress about start to move away because you understand the context of, I've got enough. I have Jesus in my life. He's blessed me with the little that I have. Whatever, because we all think we have little. He's blessed me with the little that I have, and I can be content. You see, when you start learning your identity, you start being grateful for who you are, you can learn to be content, and then out of the overflow becomes generosity. You see, I think that... Um, just quickly, um, I'm going to say three things that why generosity is so important. Because you might say, well, at the beginning, well, why do we even need to be generous? Who cares anyway? Um, well, there's three things that I'm very quickly going to say. One, it reflects God. You see, God was radically generous with his grace, and that's why we're here. It reflects God. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Second, it transforms people. You know, we, I've spoken several times about the kingdom of God from up here. I believe generosity is how God infuses his kingdom in your community. Your generosity with your time, your talents, your passion, your generosity is an overflow of identity. Remember that the foundation has to be there. Your identity, your gratefulness, your contentment. Out of that overflow, I believe the kingdom of God is seen in our community through your gener overflowing generosity. And finally, it transforms us. And I'm going to let you hear it from another source. And I'm going to let you watch a short TED talk to make this point. So I want to talk today about money and happiness, which are two things that a lot of us spend a lot of our time uh, thinking about, either trying to earn them or trying to increase them. And a lot of us resonate with this phrase, so we see it in religions and self-help books, that money can't buy happiness. And I want to suggest today that, in fact, that's wrong. And that <laughs> I'm at a business school, so that's what we do. So that that's wrong. And in fact, if you think that, you're actually just not spending it right, so that instead of spending it the way you usually spend it, maybe if you spent it differently, that might work a little bit uh, better. And, and before I tell you the ways that you can spend it that will make you happier, let's think about the ways we usually spend it that don't, in fact, make us happier. We had a little natural experiment. So, so CNN a little while ago wrote this uh, interesting article on what happens to people when they win the lottery. Turns out people think when they win the lottery their lives are going to be amazing. This article is about how their lives get ruined. So what happens when people win the lottery is, number one, they spend all the money and go into debt. And number two, all of their friends and everyone they've ever met find them and bug them for money. And it ruins their social relationships, in fact. So they have more debt and worse friendships than they had before they won the lottery. What was interesting about the article was people started commenting on the article, readers of the thing. 
And instead of talking about how it had made them realize that money doesn't lead to happiness, everyone instantly started saying, you know what I would do if I won the lottery? <laughs> and, and fantasizing about what they do. And here's a, just two of the ones that, that we saw that are just really interesting to think about. One person wrote in, when I win, I'm gonna buy my own little mountain and have a little house on top. <laughs> and another person wrote, I would fill a big bathtub with money and get in the tub while smoking a big fat cigar and <laughs> sipping a glass of champagne. This is even worse now. Then I'd have a picture taken and dozens of glossies made. Anyone begging for money or trying to extort from me would receive a copy of the picture and nothing else. <laughs> and so many of the comments were exactly of this type where people got money and in fact it made them antisocial. So we, I told you that it ruins people's lives and that their friends bug them. It also, money often makes us feel very selfish and we do things only for ourselves. And we said, well, maybe the reason that money doesn't make us happy is that we're always spending it on the wrong things, and in particular, that we're always spending it on ourselves. And we thought, I wonder what would happen if we made people spend more of their money on other people. So instead of being antisocial with your money, what if you were a little bit more pro-social with your money? And we thought, let's make people do it and see what happens. So let's have some people do what they usually do and spend money on themselves, and let's make some people give money away and measure their happiness and see if, in fact, they get happier. So the first way that we did this on uh, one uh, Vancouver morning, we went out on the campus uh, at University of British Columbia, and we approached people and said, do you want to be in an experiment? And they said yes. We, gave, we asked them how happy they were, and then we gave them an envelope. And one of the envelopes had things in it that said, by 5 p.m. today, spend this money on yourself, so when we gave some examples of what you could spend it on. Other people in the morning got a slip of paper that said by 5 p.m. today, spend this money on somebody else. Also inside the envelope was money, and we manipulated how much money we gave them. So some people got this slip of paper and $5, some people got this slip of paper and $20, we let them go about their day. They uh, did whatever they wanted to do. We found out that they did, in fact, spend it in the way that we asked them to. We called them up at night and asked them, what would you spend it on, and how happy do you feel now? What did they spend it on? Well, these are college undergrads, so a lot of what they spent it on for themselves was things like earrings and makeup. One woman said she bought a stuffed animal for her niece. Uh, people gave money to homeless people. Huge effect here of uh, Starbucks. So... <laughs> If you give undergraduates $5, it looks like coffee to them, and they run over to Starbucks and spend it as fast as they can. But some people bought a coffee for themselves the way they usually would, but other people said that they bought a coffee for somebody else. So the very same purchase, just targeted toward yourself or targeted toward some, somebody else. What did we find when we called them back at the end of the day? People who spent money on other people got happier. People who spent money on themselves, nothing happened. It didn't make them less happy, it just didn't do much for them. And the other thing we saw is that the amount of money doesn't matter that much. So people thought that $20 would be way better than $5. In fact, it doesn't matter how much money you spent. What really matters is that you spent it on somebody else rather than on yourself. We see this again and again when we give people money uh, to spend on other people instead of on themselves. Of course, these are undergraduates in Canada, not the world's most representative uh, population. They're also fairly wealthy and affluent and all these other sorts of things. We wanted to see if this holds true everywhere in the world or just among wealthy countries. So we went, in fact, to Uganda and ran a very similar experiment. So imagine instead of just people Canada, we say, name the last time you spent money on yourself or other people, describe it, how happy did it make you? Or in Uganda, name the last time you spent money on yourself or other people uh, and describe that. And then we ask them how happy they are again. And what we see is sort of amazing because there's human universals on what you do with your money and then real cultural differences on what you do as well. So for example, one uh, guy uh, from Uganda says this, he says, I called a girl I wish to love. We basically went out on a date, and he, he says at the end that he didn't achieve her uh, up till now. Here's a guy from uh, Canada, very similar thing. 
Uh, I took my girlfriend out for dinner, we went to a movie, we left early, and then went back to her room for only cake. Just, just cake. Only. Human universal, so you spend money on other people, you're being nice to them, maybe you have something in mind, maybe not, but then we see extraordinary differences. So, so look at these two. This is a woman from Canada. We say, name a time you spent money on somebody else. She says, uh, you know, I bought a present for my mom. I drove to the mall in my car, bought a present, gave it to my mom. Perfectly nice thing to do. It's good to get gifts for people that you know. Compare that to this woman from Uganda. Uh, I was walking and met a longtime friend whose, whose son was sick with malaria. They had no money, they went to a clinic. Uh, and I gave her this money. This isn't $10,000, it's the local currency. So it's, it's a very small amount of money, in fact, but enormously different motivations here. This is a real medical need, literally a life-saving donation. Above, it's just kind of, I got, bought a gift for my mother. What we see again, though, is that the specific way that you spend on other people isn't nearly as important as the fact that you spend on other people in order to make yourself happy which is really quite important. So you don't have to do amazing things with your money to make yourself happy. You can do small, trivial things and yet still get these benefits from doing this. These are only two countries. We also wanted to go even broader and look at every country in the world, if we could, to see what the relationship is between money and happiness. We got data from uh, the Gallup organization, which you know from all the political polls that have been happening lately. They asked people, did you donate money to charity recently? And they asked them, how happy are you with your life in general? And we can see what the relationship is between those two things. Are they positively correlated? Giving money makes you happy, or are they negatively correlated? On this map, green will mean they're positively correlated, and red means they're negatively correlated. And you can see the world is crazily green. So in every, almost every country in the world where we have this data, people who give money to charity are happier people than people who don't give money to charity. I know you're all looking at that red country in the middle. I would be a jerk and not tell you what it is, but it's, in fact, it's Central African Republic. You can make up stories. Uh, maybe it's different there for some reason or another. Just below that to the right is Rwanda, though, which is amazingly green. So almost everywhere we look, we see that giving money away makes you happier than keeping it uh, for yourself. What about your work life, which is where we spend all the rest of our time when we're not with the people we know? We decided to infiltrate some companies and do a very similar thing. So these are sales teams uh, in Belgium. They work in teams, they go out and sell basically to uh, doctors and try to get them to buy drugs. So we, we can look to see how well they sell things uh, as a function of being a member of a team. Some teams, we give people on the team some money for themselves and say, spend it however you want on yourself, just like we did with the undergrads in Canada. But other teams, we say, here's 15 euro, Spend it on one of your teammates this week. Buy them something as a gift or a present and give it to them. And then we can see, now we've got teams that spend on themselves and we've got these pro-social teams who we give money to make the team a little bit better. The reason I have a ridiculous pinata there is one of the teams pulled their money and bought a pinata and they all got around and smashed the pinata and all the candy fell out and things like that. A very silly, trivial thing to do, but think of the difference on a team that didn't do that at all, that got 15 euro, put it in their pocket, maybe bought themselves a coffee, or teams that had this pro-social experience where they all bonded together to buy something and do a group activity. What we see is that, in fact, the teams that are pro-social sell more stuff than the teams that only got money for themselves. And one way to think about it is, for every 15 euro you give people for themselves, they put it in their pocket, they don't do anything different than they did before, you don't get any money from that. You actually lose money, because it doesn't motivate them to perform any better. But when you give them 15 euro to spend on their teammates, they do so much better on their teams that you actually get a huge win on investing this kind of money. And I realize that you're probably thinking to yourselves, this is all fine, but there's a context that's incredibly important for public policy, and I can't imagine it would work there. And if, it basically, if he doesn't show me that it works here, I don't believe anything he said. And I know that what, what you're all thinking about are dodgeball teams. <laughs> this was a huge criticism that we got, you know, to say, if, if you can't show with dodgeball teams, this is all stupid. So we, we went out and 
found these dodgeball teams and infiltrated them, and we did the exact same thing as before. So some teams we give people on the team money, they spend it on themselves. Other teams we give them money to spend on their dodgeball teammates. The teams that spent money on themselves, they're just the same winning percentage as they were before. The teams that we give them money to spend on each other, they become different teams, and in fact, they dominate the league by the time they're done. Across all of these different contexts, your personal life, your work life, even silly things like intramural sports, we see spending on other people has a bigger return for you than spending uh, on yourself. And so I'll just say, I, I think if you think money can't buy happiness, you're not spending it right. Uh, the implication is not, you know, you should buy this product instead of that product, and that's the way to make yourself happier. It's in fact that you should... It's actually interesting because there was a good TED talk um, about using money as the example, but the Bible has been saying this for quite a long time. It says in Acts 20, 35, it says, in all things I have shown you that by, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he, he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we know that um, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to close out with I Breathe You In. Um, but we know that the Bible has said that for a long time. It's not about spending on yourself. It's not about even the choosing, okay, should we buy this product or that product? We know that actually investing in other people is much more important. Um, Tim Keller says, um, generosity is a life of deep unselfishness. Generosity is a life of deep unselfishness. So let your identity be centered in Jesus, be thankful, and lead a life of gratitude, and then be, be content and leave plenty of room in your life for generosity. Let's, when we sing this song, I breathe you in, let's think about that idea of below the line of contentment. Below the line of contentment. You see that I think if we learn to be content with those things, our life can really change. Because I think a lot of us are pushing that line of contentment way up. We're trying to fill it with the things that we think we need. And our generosity is, is getting squeezed out. If you want to lead a generous life, you need to understand who you are. Be grateful for that. Fill those things with Jesus and the things that he's given you and gratitude. So let's sing this song together and then I'll close out right after.